Hey family, welcome to another edition of Cool Jazz Conversations here on WSSB FM in South Carolina. My name is Marcella Shepard, the bass man, and what a pleasure and an honor it is to be chopping it up with two legends today that truly are pioneers in this contemporary jazz game. They are coming up on 45 years in the game of making good music and they just released their 25th album as leaders, which is uh, titled Fired Up, two of the dopest brothers in the game. Please show some love for none other than Curtis Harmon and James Lloyd. Gentlemen, welcome to Cool Jazz Conversations. Man, how you doing? What's happening, man? How you doing? Thank you. Every day above ground is is a good day for me. Yes, yes, yes. So I appreciate you guys being here. 45 years, man. I mean, that's... That's a long time, you know. You've seen, bro. Yeah, you you've seen <laughs> a lot of artists come and go in that time. How does it feel to be forty five years into the game and still be at the top of your game? We feel old. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's uh, it's incredible to be able to say you dig and. But sometimes after I hear myself say it, I'm like, wow, that's that's a long time, <laughs> you know? And the fact, uh, coupled with the fact that we're still doing it, you know, it's just not the yeah. end. We're, we're looking forward now to our golden anniversary and um, still recording, still touring. So that's a blessing. Yeah, yeah I, I, I consider it a gift from God that we've lasted this long, but I mean, we owe it to um, number one, God, the other, and, and, and our fans and our, and the DJs and and people like you, man, who keep us right in front of the public eye, man, and and keeps our and keep our music alive. Well, you know, it, it makes my job a lot easier when the music is as good as it has been and continues to be, right? So let's let's go uh, back down memory lane, if you will, to 1976, the inception of the group. How did you all come together in the first place? Well, we, it first started through a middle school jazz band mm -hmm. uh, in Philadelphia, A. Lewis Middle School. and uh, Teenagers. Was, yes, yeah, a jazz band that um, uh, was comprised of 17 individuals and led by uh, a saxophonist, a renowned saxophonist in the Philly area, Tony Williams. Oh, yeah. um, rest in peace. And, um, and also... Uh, my first jazz piano teacher, Gerald Price Jr., uh, was also passed on. But uh, so there were these individuals that were teaching these young kids jazz and teaching us how to, to you know, solo over chord changes and play blueses and, and just improvisation, period, and learning different songs. And, um, and you know, they were mentoring all of this, this big band. Now, uh, we formed a smaller unit out of that for a talent show. And at the school and uh, we placed third and then uh, started doing more gigs and, and everything and next thing you know it just turned into a band and 45 years later here Curtis R and I are still playing together man I mean simply incredible man and then yeah we actually we, we actually broke off we actually broke off from that jazz band and my father Danny Harmon who was actually our first manager um, him and his brother Bill Harmon, but my father actually had us sit down, sitting down in 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 our house, listening to people like the MJQs, the Three Sounds, mm -hmm. uh, 
Ahmed Jamal, Oscar Peterson, you know, all of the jazz greats. And uh, that's, I guess that's how we really learned what swing really sounded like and, and how to really play it. You know, um, he took us and, we, and as we kind of went along, we, we started doing dinner dances and uh, block parties and stuff like that. Uh, where we would actually start out the dinner dance with some swing music, some easy listening stuff. And then uh, later on, when, when everybody ate and had a few drinks, they wanted to dance. And then we would break out into other stuff like the Commodores or some mm -hmm. stuff by Earth, Wind & Fire. So, you know, because being the ages we were, of course, we knew about, you know, uh, people like that, like uh, um, the Gap Band and Oakland yeah. uh, and Fire and, and, and people like that, uh, Randy Crawford. And, you know, we had a vocalist, Barbara Walker, who was with us, too. So we did a lot of those type of things. But um, we were, you know, we became very versatile in the music uh, due to the fact that we had this jazz background also. And, you know, speaking of that, you know, you all were trained in the straight ahead world. So what was it that pulled you towards the contemporary sound as opposed to being straight up tra uh, traditional jazz uh, artists? Well, I guess for me, you know, jazz wasn't first. Um, I started off uh, just regular piano lessons, you know, okay. when I was six years old. Uh, just classical, you know, stuff. And, and um, you know, and I would play like classical pieces and, um, um, you know, I've gotten good at re reading music, so I would get all these different sheet music things. And uh, but even at the, at an early age, I guess maybe from eight years old on, I realized that you know I could hear things and then play them. So I would mm -hmm. like play things that you know all the TV shows that themes that I liked. I would play those on the piano, and and uh, then uh, records that I would hear that I liked, and I would play those. I would learn those. And, and it got to a point where I could hear something and I could play it. So I was playing things like not just the classical stuff, but I was into like Captain and Tennille, uh, James Brown, uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Brothers Johnson and, and Parliament Funkadelic and stuff like that. Uh, so I would play like all of those type of songs too. Um, and, and other stuff that I, I would hear on the radio and um, that's that was the first you know for it and then when i was 12 that's when i got introduced to jazz okay uh, but all the time up until that time i'm still playing you know things that i hear that i liked and and you know that's that my origin yeah first and for me the first thing i actually learned how to play on drums was get ready by uh rare earth Actually. Oh wow! Oh, that's one of the best <laughs> was, drum solos ever. <laughs> that was the first song I ever learned to play. Wow! And this was before I had drumsticks, so wow. I was playing it on my brother, my little brother's high chair with fork and knife. <laughs> man, I love that. That song is like twenty-one minutes long, man. Oh my gosh! And that was the first thing I learned to play. So you know, it wasn't. Wow. It wasn't uh, jazz. Wasn't the first thing I was introduced to. Now I'm. Third generation musician. So mm -hmm. my grandfather and father uh, both played. My grandfather was also a music professor. Uh, he taught jazz improvisation at Temple University. Okay. So that's where I got my harmony and theory background. So you know, wow, good uh, stuff. My father used to have me play in his band sometimes. You know, uh, when you know when they couldn't find a drummer that was you know that was available, and I would be this kid. I was twelve years old. And I'm playing the gig with my father, <laughs> so, but I'm in, a, I'm in a club, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But um, yeah, that those were my first experiences as far as uh, music. Very nice. So take us back then to uh, your meeting with Mr. Magic himself, one of the godfathers of contemporary jazz, the one and only Grover Washington Jr. man. Uh, take okay. us back to that meeting. Here's how I uh, recollectly uh, recall. And this story, this story might have changed a few times over the years. You know? I believe our first time meeting him was through a show that uh, Pieces of a Dream was the house band for in Philly called City Lights. Hmm. And uh, I was I was 14 at the time we started we started playing. And um, 14, 15, yeah. And um, we used to play like in and out of commercials and we would entertain the, you know, the crowd during the commercial breaks and they also had they had a musical guest on each each show um most of the time we would back the musical guest sometimes they would use a track but uh you know the, most of the time we would wind up backing them so we got to back uh i remember dave valentine clark terry Iceman jerry butler wow. and one of those yeah, right? And Grover was on one of those weeks. Oh, yeah, Clark Terry. We got to play, just slap the taste out your mouth. Mumbles with Clark Terry, man. Like, yeah. um, and Grover was on one of those weeks. So uh, he decided to use us. We played two tunes with him. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and that was that was just uh, an awesome feeling. And uh, uh, we did East River Drive. Oh, yeah. Like little whistle thing that you know and and i was you know in addition to playing the keyboard parts i was i was playing the little whistle part you know in that in that section so uh i was like oh, okay and then after the show i'm thinking to myself is he gonna let me keep this <laughs> and then someone came like uh oh, bro's gonna need that whistle back yeah. <laughs> okay so um not long after that we were performing at the bijou where grover washington did live at the bijou, live the bijou. magic uh, that's famous for and uh, we saw him in the audience and asked if he would join us on stage. So he did. And he played Mr. Magic with us on the Bijou stage. Dope, you know? dope. So I think I'm like maybe 15 or, or just turning 15. Um, soon after that, he took us all out to dinner and our families and, and his family and announced that he was starting a production company and we were going to be his first act to be produced. Wow. And we're like, yay, oh, great. That's what, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I got a record deal. Like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, all right, we're great. This is awesome. Then, uh, you know, reality set in after that dinner, and like, we don't have any original material. We never written a song. You know, I'm 15 years old. <laughs> what do I know? So, you know, we got together in our in our rehearsal spot and our eight track reel to reel, and uh, wow. got some ideas down. Yeah, man, got some ideas down. Presented them to Grover. And uh, he said, okay, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna take this, I'm gonna take this, we'll use this. Uh, I'll add a few tunes, I'll have, I'll play on some stuff. I'll have other guys play on, you know, other vets play on uh, your album as well. And uh, boom, next day, you know, we got a record and it comes out and I'm 16 years old. I'm a senior in high school with an album out. And uh, so he produced our first and second and third album, 81, 82 and 83. And out of that came songs like Warm Weather from the first album, Mount Airy Groove from the second album, 18, 1982, which is still in our set today. Uh, third album, we have Faux Five Faux. Um, and uh, then we started touring with him and opening for him as Pieces of a Dream and playing as part of his rhythm section as well. So it's like we come off stage and then go right back on stage, you know, double duty. 
and went all over the world for years doing this and just grew up on the road and learned so much from Grover, not just musically, but personally and uh, learned about humility and, and, and how to engage your audience uh, on stage and off stage. Um, yeah. And just watching him and how he was, you know, as, as, you know, rich and famous and large as, as, as this person was in the industry, how, just a regular down to earth guy he was, you did. And that's kind of what we model ourselves after and try and teach others as well. And also the part about letting music breathe. <laughs> that was one of the main things that, that lessons Important. That, yeah, you gotta let the music breathe. Don't play like you get paid by the note, you know? And, wow. And, <laughs> yeah, you gotta preach you know, that to so many new artists on the stage today, on the scene today, because they feel every single space with the notebooks <laughs> like lord like you know there's there's so much transmitted and communicated in those spaces you know that that is yeah and you miss them and you miss those little nuances and and little things that make the song so either funky or or sweet yes. you know uh, when you fill up every space uh you know and grover taught us not to do that and so we've translated that from performing even into our writing that mm. we, we don't try to fill up every little space you gotta let sometimes it's cool to let the background music breathe and and kind of because if you sometimes when you do that you'll find some of the funkiest things in the background that'll make your head go oh yeah you know and and that's and those are the things you don't want to miss because those are the things that make the song happen Man, so much to unpack and we'll definitely get back to Mount Airy Groove uh, in a little bit. But if you were just joining us, we are talking to the world renowned Pieces of a Dream, James Lloyd, Curtis Harmon, hanging out here today with us on Cool Jazz Conversations and what a pleasure it is. You know, Grover was amazing. You know, may he rest in peace. He brought us so much. He taught you so much. And, you know, as I sit here and I'm listening to this story, first off, a couple of things. Number one, y'all had your work permits very early. Okay. I mean, somebody, somebody broke some child labor laws. Let's, let's, keep, it let's, let's keep it real. Uh, but, you know, number two, you, you all have been producing for a very long time, you know. So those production credits, I mean, you, you learn from one of, of the best out the gate. How blessed and... I don't even yes. want to use the word lucky, but how blessed you all have been to experience that and and at a young age. And it, it kind of, uh, well, I guess it did. It, it molded you into the, the great producers and, and artists that you are today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Great. Very blessed. Because, um, uh, you know, I guess Grover, meeting Grover and, and, and even my father taking an interest in us and, and Tony Williams and uh, Gerald Price Jr., you know, it probably kept us out of a lot of trouble. Because mm, <laughs> you know? a business kid is a in kid Philly. out of trouble. So, and, in Philly you know, streets. Mm-hmm. and when kids don't have nothing to do, they find trouble, you know. So we were we were definitely blessed in that area where, uh, and besides that, um, they saw a talent in us and helped to help us to embellish that talent and turn it into a career. Because I think when we were, when we first started uh, playing, you know, uh, once we got finished with the talent show and all of that, and we we kind of kept this thing going, 
um, we were just having fun. We were kids having fun. You know, we didn't see this as a career or a, you know, or, or you know, what it actually turned into. You know, we, I don't, I don't know, well, for me, I know I didn't really have any aspirations to make records and and produce and all of that. Not at that particular time. Really? And uh, this is something that kind of just bloomed, this, this, uh, this fun thing bloomed into a career for us, you know, and, you know, this is my message to parents. Every kid has a talent, you know, yes. you need to look for that talent, help that kid embellish that talent and Make, maybe that that talent can turn into a career for that kid. Most definitely, most definitely. Yeah, it's um, for me. I feel like uh, it's it's uh, it's this career has been multifaceted. Um, you know, there was the, the beginning stages, and then there's the um, there was what I call the, the uh, sort of an embryo stage of of smooth jazz itself, because mm -hmm. you know when we were first doing that. Uh, doing what we were doing, there was no such thing as smooth jazz. You no. remember yeah. <laughs> back in the, that coin, that term had yet to be coined. Right. Uh, it was just music, you dig? And um, we were we were known for our versatility um, in that we played, we went from straight ahead to funk fusion, this, that, and the other thing. And, and so, you know, then there was that stage. And then I think somewhere around 2001 or so, uh, after moving to Ohio, I started venturing into writing and producing for artists in addition to Pieces of a Dream. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, that started, uh, my first was uh, Nesta Torres. Oh yeah. And, yeah, okay. And I wound up doing seven songs on the Simple Albus album. Um, so then I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. And right after that, was um, I believe it was Walter Beasley and Wayman Tisdale. Oh, yeah. I did uh, Hang Time on Wayman, and then I did a bunch of tunes on Walter Beasley, and then I did some more on Walter. Then next thing I do, uh, you know, I'm doing one on Najee, and then nice. Hiroshima, yeah. you know, and yeah. uh, <laughs> well, you know, and then uh, yeah, Jeff Koshua, and uh, then Nick Coleone, and you know, I, Eric I see Bennett. your smile brightening as you're thinking of all of the checks that you've gotten off of those. <laughs> you know, yeah, well, that, that doesn't hurt either, you know. <laughs> but you know, it, it sort of just you know really got good to me, and and yeah. uh, now I'm I guess becoming known for you know producing uh, you know other artists. So you know, you fast forward to. Uh, now, oh, uh, Curtis has been doing some other productions as well. Um, he'll tell you about that himself. But, you know, fast forward to us having the opportunity to do for someone what Grover did for us uh, yeah. by Lee Schultz, you know, the young yeah. multi-instrumentalist phenom that we discovered when he was 12 years old uh, right. through Alex Anchek, uh, another okay. person produced for and uh i i met him through a gig that I was playing with alex and he and i justin and i got to play together uh when he was 12 years old and i just fell in love i'm like oh i gotta adopt you as as my nephew you know yeah, yeah. and, and then i talked to my partner kurt and i was like look dude we gotta we gotta do something we gotta get this right. cat and, and you all you played on his debut album as well, well uh, yeah uh we did as well mm -hmm. but even before that happened you know we uh we, uh, we decided to have him join join us on the road uh, nice. in a Dream when he was just 12. So, of course, we had to bring a parent with him. You know, we fly his dad 
uh, if if the gig involved flying and then yeah, those work permits look a little they they work a little different in twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays, then, you better yeah. have a parent on board. You know, we yeah, can't just yeah. put a twelve year old on the plane and say, "Hey, show up! Don't be late for sound check." Right. <laughs> but um, and then we you know we uh, uh, got help get him a record deal on our same label, Shiny Shiny. Yeah, yeah. I wrote and produced, and we all Curtis and I played on his first single. Uh, Curtis wrote a song at, to, to have him featured on Pieces of a Dream's current album. Right. So, uh, you know, and also um, one song that I produced and wrote for Alex Zanchek, I had Justin featured on, uh, Motor City Sweat. Nice. So, yeah. So we're trying to help him, you know, launch it and just as much as we can yeah. um, into the career, just like Grover helped us, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we know it's only a matter of time before it's like probably spreads his wings and and he's and not gonna be have doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know, he'll be I doing guess, the same thing. But um, and next thing you know, well, well hey, okay, who else? Who else can right. we uh, maybe discover and produce and and help bring to the world? You know, with 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 our blessings, help bless somebody else and pull them along. Mentorship is so important in every genre, every medium, every job. And so, you know, hats off to you all for, for doing that, for sure, man. Simply amazing. You know, when years ago I was in studio and I'm going through different catalogs, you know, I'm, I'm in the, the music library, better yet, uh, while I'm doing my show in the studio. So I go across and I'm grabbing some stuff and I pull out Stanley Tarantino, put the record on pieces of a dream and I'm listening I'm like oh this is just amazing it was literally my first time hearing this particular album and then it dawned on me I wonder if huh yes yes <laughs> so yes yeah, so so take me back you know what was it about Stanley Tarantino's uh project there pieces of a dream that resonated with you all so much that you said you know what aha this this is the name that we will be identified as <laughs> well that was a that was a song actually that I heard every Saturday morning when my stepmother was vacuuming and cleaning up the house. Okay. <laughs> Every morning she would play this song, Pieces of Dreams by Stanley Turntine. Right. And um, when we, I guess when we started, we went through a whole array of names that ended up not working out for us. Like and, what? Uh, like what? Do you remember? Like, oh uh, yeah. The first name was Galaxy. Uh, and this was the name we had during the talent show coming up coming from the 17 piece uh junior high school jazz band wow so we decided to enter the talent show of the school uh then that's, that's funky. As, that's funky. Uh, as we actually started getting gigs like around the area doing the block parties the uh dinner dances and stuff like that and the small jazz clubs um our name changed to my father changed our name to touch of class okay and we found out somebody had that name so we changed it to classic touch and then somebody had that name. <laughs> so then my stepmother, I guess, uh, went to my father and said, listen, why don't we, why, why don't you name them Pieces of a Dream? So she did, this is her scenario was that there were three pieces, uh, there were three of us at the time. Uh, the original bassist, Cedric Napoleon, was, was also with us. And he, they said, 
why don't you name pieces of a dream there were three pieces looking for a musical dream and that's that was the scenario of that dream now at first we didn't like the name because we thought it was very wordy <laughs> you know it was a very long name when we got used to growing up to uh uh groups with names like commodores uh, the Gap Band, you know, uh, Parliament, you know, right. and just one like word, that. two word, right? Yeah, right, one right. word, two word. Yeah. And uh, but as as a little bit of time went on, man, the name caught on as as we got popular in the Philadelphia area. The name caught on, and uh, it just started to be a household word as we started branching out over the rest of the country. So we kept it. <laughs> That's dope. That's the, and, and did you did you break stepmama off with a little something for giving you that name? Well, my father was the manager, so she was already <laughs> <laughs> she was already part of the production team. She was already taking care. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Good. Good job, stepmom. Good job. God rest her soul. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So, congrats to you all. You are. Finally, as we come out of this pandemic, you're touring again. How did it feel getting back on stage recently? Oh, it felt incredible. Um, we we really did not want to stop. <laughs> you know, we got on there and uh, that show could still be gone, you know. Um, but being able to connect with our fans again live, um, that's that's a big part of of what we do and and who we are you know um you hear pieces of a dream records um and you may dig them but then when you see us live it's oh, another thing. different experience be so bold and you know yeah. <laughs> um but uh so being able to do that again and connect with them again even through masks was incredible yeah yeah and you know you all your stage presence is is pretty incredible. Um, James, you definitely know how to work the crowd. You know, you you put that bad boy, that strap on, and you get out there and you 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 walking up the stairs or you going to somebody's table and you all up in front. I mean, Cedric, do you I mean, excuse me, Cedric, Lord have mercy. Curtis, do you ever um think that it's unfair that you know james can get out into the crowd and and you just gotta hold it down on stage do you i mean i think it's it's 2021 it's about time somebody invents a, a wireless drum pad for you to get out there and do your thing as well right hey, you know what i'm actually comfortable right where i <laughs> uh, you know james i mean he loves that front thing and 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 i love the background i really do it's um for me because if I don't hold it down with the pocket and everything, then things could fall apart a little right, bit. Right, nothing there. else but, is going to happen. Know, I, I right. really, you know, I kind of, I'm very comfortable with where I am. I mean, I play from, from the background. Plus, I sit higher than everybody else, so, you know, I'm good with that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I play from that, that that perspective, and I sing from that, that position also. So I'm good with it. I'm really good with it. You Somebody got to stay home and watch the kids, right? Oh, man. <laughs> he can see all the of them. The, I keep the rest of the band in check. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, you know, you guys have been touring the land for forever and a day now, for decades now. Do you have a, a favorite place to tour, to go to perform? Several, yeah. Um, the, the well, the DMV is, is has always Where been... I'm from. A bit, yes, yes, a big part of of 
Gosh, our, our upbringing and, you know, our success, even before we had records, mm. you know, we were coming to, to the Harambe house, <laughs> you wow. know? Oh. You remember that Harambe house? Yeah, man. And we used uh, to do the uh, Left Bank Jazz Society in Baltimore. Oh, yeah, Baltimore. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to All do it here. So uh, Blues Alley was a big part of our career, well, of our yeah. history. Uh, man. I, play I was 16 years old, you know? We, we played there with, with uh, we opened for Milt Jackson. And and wow. I remember he asked if he could take us on tour with him to, to Europe for six months. And all our parents were like, nah. Quick passing in a hurry. I, I was about was to say why, but I won't. I won't. Yeah, I must have been, I must have been 15, because I, I think we were all still in school. Yeah. That was, we, were, we, were. we were all still in high school, so we would have wow. to come out of school. And uh, they're like, nah. But uh, yeah, with Blues Alley for years, you know. Um, so that's a, that's a very popular spot for us. Uh, Detroit as well, uh, nice. showing us I love over the years. Um, of course, Philly, you know, gr having grown up in Philly, um, you know, anytime playing there is like a homecoming or right. even in the general vicinity, Jersey or AC, mm -hmm. or, you know, you'll see a lot of our Philly home peeps there. Mm -hmm. uh, those are some of my favorites, uh, you know, in the country that that field has shown us uh, a whole lot of love. And um, out of the country, oh my gosh, Japan! I just really? love it. But yes, yes. What, what is it about the folks in Japan? Uh, their their appreciation for the music. Mm -hmm. um, the the now it took us a minute. Uh, the first time we got we were there, um, nineteen. Uh, turned 19 in Japan with Grover you know, on tour there. And um, so our first time playing for the, for the audience, you know, we opened up his pieces, you know, we haven't played with Grover yet. Mm -hmm. So we're playing and we play a song, we finish the song and man, we, we usually the audience kind of claps. So, you know, when we finish one, they're like, okay, all right, go ahead, get on the next one. We're giving it our all and, you know, it, and it, you know, it don't, it don't seem to really clap during solos and um, and, and at the end of the song, you know, as much, and then we're like, maybe they ain't, they ain't digging us, you know. Get to the end of the show, they standing on their feet for like t 10, 12 minutes, just, you wow. know, in a row. Wow, we're thinking, oh, y'all didn't, wouldn't, you know, wouldn't feel us that that much. And it was the opposite. That's it just their respect. Way. Yeah, they wait yeah, till yeah. everything. Wow. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, they look at it more like, a, like an opera, you know. Um, right on at the end and um yeah so we definitely did an encore and uh then you know then came back and uh went back on stage with grover so it, it took a, a second to get used to but then man that that level of appreciation and playing at yokohama stadium oh my gosh man. That, that was incredible i think for me it was uh london uh playing the, at the hammersmith Odeon which okay. I don't think is there anymore, but uh, that was an incredible arena to play in. Um, and it's funny because we were on our way to do a radio interview and people on the streets noticed us and knew who we were. Wow. I was like, they were like, hey, that's pieces of a dream over there. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, wow. We were walking into, the, getting ready to walk into the radio station and and some of the some of the people in the street just knew who we were, and I was like, wow, wow, that that's you know that that was different. That was different for me. I mean, we we kind of knew that people here knew us, but we didn't know how much we were known and appreciated abroad. So that you know that kind of uh, 
that in itself kind of made makes your heart feel really well. You know, you know I, people all over the world appreciate you like that. Most definitely. And, you know, I always wish that here in the U.S. that we had the same appreciation that these other countries do of our musicians, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you, you've you've heard since the, the dawn of, of man that, you know, folks make music here, then they go over to Europe, then you don't see them no more. Uh, well, you yeah. know, it's funny because a couple of friends of mine or t- you know, t- telling us, listen, man, you got to go play Singapore and you got to go play uh, I- uh, Greenland and Iceland and these right. and these other places. And it's funny how you know American musicians. We play here, and there's a certain standard of uh, of appreciation here. And then, but when we go abroad, we make a fortune over there. We go mm-hmm. over some other places and make make a fortune, man. Right. You, you you're paid ahead of time. You know, yeah, right. You're paid ahead of time. You know, yeah. And 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 it's it's just wow. It's it's different. It's just really different. Yeah. You know. If you're well, just joining but, us, we are talking to pieces of a dream. Uh, they're hanging out here on Cool Jazz Conversations. They have a brand new album we'll be talking about shortly. But I want to go back, if you will, uh, to one of my favorites, that of Mount Airy Groove. I mean, just that old school groove. I used to do something called Classic Fridays, right? Uh-huh. Where on Friday, the whole station, I would program nothing but classics because I wanted it to be an all-day party. And when I put old, when I put Mount Airy Groove on, I mean, phone lines always. Man, I used to skate to that back. Oh, man, I used to play that at this party. I mean, but that song is huge. I mean, sampled by <laughs> that, like 16 different artists across genres probably uh, yeah. r&b edm uh yeah. grandmaster flash and the uh, furious yeah. five force d's tracy lee's party <laughs> time i mm-hmm. mean what do you recall where the idea came from having having a little scratch in, in there oh you know what that song actually kind of it almost kind of came about by accident because we were at a rehearsal. We had a rehearsal studio up in uh, Mount Airy in Philadelphia. And after we got finished learning what we were supposed to learn, we started messing around and, and playing around with some stuff, but we left the tape on. Mm. And when we played the tape back, after we got finished messing around, parts of what is known as Mount Airy Groove now, it was on the tape. And that scratching part was on there too, wow. along with the, uh, the the little, I guess the bridge is like the table tennis type, <laughs> the, the, yeah. the uh, video tennis type thing. <laughs> and uh, so we kind of just embellished it and, and kind of, because we were actually looking to put out our second album, uh, man, we thought that groove was so nice. We just, you know, kind of added to it, uh, rearranged some things and, and just made it into what it is now. And then when, when we put out that album, uh, We Are One, Mallory Groove ended up being the B-side mm-hmm. of a single called Please Don't Do This To Me, written mm-hmm. by Dexter Ronzo and Cynthia Biggs. Then about a, about three weeks later, the record company comes to us in Grover and says, listen, the DJs are flipping the record over. <laughs> <laughs> so we need y'all to go in and make a 12 inch of this record. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because everybody's putting out 12 inches back then, the long, right. you know, the, the real long playing uh, records. And uh, so we went and did that and then found out Grandmaster Flash did a rap on it. So we did our own rap version on it. Yeah. And, and so, and then, you know, as it is, 
so many people have done certain things over that piece of music, man, is is definitely made us feel honored that we were actually able to put out and create something that seems to be timeless. Most definitely, man. And like I said, I counted about 16 different artists. <laughs> that, oh, we got it. He pulled it out. He pulled it oh, look out. Look at that there. That, that is, man, that is beautiful. Look at the 45. <laughs> It looks like a 45. Is that a 45? Yeah, that's a 45. 45. And that's side A, and let's see. Wow. That's side A, yeah. For those that can't see, James Lloyd just pulled out the 45-inch of this Yeah, that's please don't do this to me, yo. Oh, wow. That is is a piece of history. Where'd you get that from? (laughs) (laughs) He bought it back then. He bought it back then. Wow. I'm sure that y'all hit a million. Electric talent. Wow. Electra yeah. Asylum. Man. Oh, here's another one that y'all probably, uh, I don't know how how hip to this one you are. Uh, what is that? I can't it, see it. Oh, I'm yeah, that's a, the, the, the thing is white. Um, so. Ice cream. Ice cream. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Talk about ice cream, man. Tell about it, Kurt. Oh, wow. Ice cream was a song that uh, was supposed to be this summertime hit for us <laughs> that we wanted to write and and you know just, we were kids so you know uh we just yeah, wanted to write something idea. that would would probably last for years down the road because everybody loves ice cream oh yeah you know? <laughs> so we we put out this song called we made up this groove and uh did these vocals over this song and it and this is the song is called Ice Cream. It's like, when the summer's really hot, you need something to hit the spot. Ice cream, ice cream, after dinner, after school, it keeps you super, super cool. So what's the chances? Look that up and dig that up and see see if you get And that's something we laugh at all the time now. What's, what what are the chances that you'll add that to one of your live shows before the end of the year? It's y'all folks. <laughs> <laughs> Anorexic. <laughs> yeah, it's doubtful at this point, but the same chances as we will add your friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, friend, where you at? <laughs> No friend. <laughs> P-O-D. You know, for me, I, anytime I play you all, I just find such enjoyment in saying P-O-D. Like, mm-hmm. Pieces of a Dream is a cool name, mm-hmm. but that P-O-D, like, it's, it's a statement, right? Mm, it's, yeah. it's a statement that has 45 years of incredible music behind it, which leads us now to album 25. Mm-hmm. As high schoolers 16 18 years old did you ever think that you'd be 45 years in then when producing that first album was the thought ever there that you would get to a silver recording no no uh, i don't really even think we thought about it at that time um like i said we were having fun um now after putting out our first album i guess we kind of did realize that this was the start of something, you know, that was gonna probably last, some, uh, you know, for some time. But 
to have it last this long, no, I didn't. I didn't see that happening. So. Ne- neither did I. I mean, you know, when you're 15, 16, 17 years old, you're not thinking about a 25, 40 year plan. You know what I mean? You're not thinking about where am I going to be when I'm 40, when I'm you're living 50, in the moment. At that age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're living in the moment. I mean, I feel I was too young to truly appreciate what was happening to us then. You know, wow. uh, I, I, I love the things that, that I've gone through, but I mean, I, I wish I was a little I guess older, you know, maybe mentally, and, and uh, to to absorb more and maybe experience more of what uh, was going on around me, you know. Um, but you know, we were kids, so we were, you know, had kid mentality and doing kid kid things as well as being, you know, musicians and growing up. You dig? So I, I feel like maybe some of that, like, oh, wow, I wish I was. A, you know, hindsight, you dig? Right. But. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed every minute at the same time. As you should, my brother, as you should, which brings so us now. We got to do like, oh gosh, um, we, we got to back James Brown, you know, on two right. tunes. Lou Rawls, Parade of Stars, Telethon, you know? It's like, so hey, this is a, this is a challenge. Anybody out there can find any footage of that and get it to Pieces of a Dream, I, I got a prize for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, some of the things we were, you know, able to, to do in, in, in our career and, you know, the people that we've backed and shared the stage with, you know, we've, we've done Soul Train, you know, with yeah. the real Cornelius, you dig? Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. we played on Merv Griffin, <laughs> you know? Oh my gosh, what a history. Yeah, we got man. to play with Bill Withers and Angela Bofield oh and, and some of the, you know, greats that, uh, you know, we used to listen to on the radio. Wow. Yeah, we so we, we, we were backing all of these people, you know, back then. Uh, we, we did tours with where we would back Bill Withers and Gerald Albright and, and uh, Angela Bofill or, or, or Sherelle, and we backed uh, Stanley Clark on, on a tour. And uh, yeah, just some of the things that we've been able to experience and, and do is, is it's in, incredible, you know. Uh, We've had songs on jazz charts. We have songs on R&B charts. Right, crossing <laughs> over, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, we, we played the closing theme in Spike Lee's School Days, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, one of our songs, uh, Breaking Off. Um, um, Winning Street. Hot in Here, uh, yeah. was, was used in a, a summer, spring break type of movie called uh, Breaking All the Rules. Mm. Uh, also, gonna... um, Winning Street was in the uh, one of our songs, Winning Street, that was produced by Maurice White. Um, oh, nice. Ended up in the Super, the movie The Super with Joe Pesci. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we got to work with Maurice White. He produced half of one of our albums. You know, we and Lenny White produced the other half. Oh, Lenny my White. Gosh. We did half in New York and the other half in Cali. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. White and White. Maurice White even sang background vocals on our album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so man. you listen, you'll hear him singing on our version of Careless Whispers mm-hmm. uh, as well as, as a couple other things. So those I mean, experiences. Yeah, just a storied career. And you guys have so many stories that I'm going to encourage you at some point in time, you have to do a, your own podcast, right? Just story time with pieces of a dream. And let's have, before we talk about the new album, let's have a little bit of story time. Share with me a story from way back when of something that happened to you, whether it's performance or meeting someone, where at the end of it, you all looked at each other and you realized that you were living the jazz life. Mm. 
<laughs> okay. I would have to say uh, when we did the Hollywood Hollywood Bowl with Grover. Hmm. Um, you know, this was, I mean, Grover was at the peak of his career. He just right. re released Wine Light, like, which you know was a mega platinum, you know, and what's new jazz artist goes mega platinum, you know? Right, so, right, right. You know, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, it's like, I'm in awe of the whole surrounding, you know, where we are, what we're doing, this huge stage we're on, you know, and and me, I didn't, of course, um, Grover's brother played drums for him. Okay. So I got to play percussion alongside of Doc Gibbs. Hmm. So that in itself, so, you know, for me, because I always, I love drums, but I love all percussion, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. I got to open up uh, uh, as pieces of a dream for Grover playing drums and then playing Grover's band as a percussionist. So nice. I'm definitely living the dream, you know, yeah. um, and and allowing myself to allowing me to be versatile and, you know, just expanding my chops, you know, doing, doing what I love to do. Incredible. How about for you, James? Well, let's see. Um, I think a very defining moment for me was uh, one of those pieces of Dream Grover tours. Oh, Grover Pieces of Dream tours. <laughs> Let me get it right. Um, the, uh, the tour was supposed to start, well, it did start on a Friday and for three months. And uh, Tuesday night after rehearsal, uh, I broke my wrist. Wow. my left wrist and um so i, I remember uh, uh calling the uh, you know at, at about one o'clock in the morning calling uh, another keyboardist <laughs> right by the name of curtis dow uh saying hey i'm at the hospital i got a broken wrist um what are you doing for the next three months <laughs> of course you know wow. it took me a minute to convince him i was not joking and uh, once we got past that, I told them that, look, um, here, I got a crazy idea. Uh, have you come to rehearsal and, uh, you know, you'll be my left hand and um, uh, you'll just play the chords that my left hand will play. And uh, then, you know, we got two more days of rehearsal with Grover and then you can come over to my house and I can show you, you know, we can rehearse what you have to do for pieces show. So now I convinced him. Now I had to convince everybody else. I got to convince right. Grover. Grover. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so the next day, next day, I show up to rehearsal uh, with cast on and, and it's curtained out and, and, you know, everybody thought it was a joke. They thought, you know, like, where's the zipper? I'm like, no, this is real and blah, blah, blah. And Grover being who he is, uh, just was like, okay, <laughs> cool, wow. let's, let's give it a shot, right? So, you know, being now after growing up, looking back what that meant at that time, that meant okay, another person on the payroll, uh, another keyboard rig, another yeah. hotel room, another another flight. That's money. Yeah. All of that, all of that Robert was willing to add on, you know, at the last minute, you know, two days before this tour is starting. This is Wednesday, wow. tour starts Friday, you know? And they're just like, okay, let's go for it. So during wow. that Wednesday and Thursday rehearsal with Grover, um, I, I showed him the parts that, you know, uh, uh, my left hand would play, you know, and I'm uh, 
in pain like a mug. I'm popping Percocet and Percocet, but I'm going. You know, I'm, mm. I'm I think I'm 19, maybe 20. Uh, wow. when, when, and uh, so we did that. And then Wednesday night, he came over to my house, showed him what he had to do with pieces. Thursday, did the same thing, same thing. Friday, the tour started, and I had that cast on the entire time for three months. They took it off after six weeks. Say, hey, move your wrist. I'm like, uh, ooh, uh, uh, mm. no, six weeks. Crap. <laughs> the whole Damn. summer. So, uh, yeah. But, you know, to me, it was like, I don't know, I guess just the sheer determination set in. And it was like, you know, I'm going. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm not going. Right. I'm, I'm going to find a way to make this happen. And I did, you know. And I'm, I'm really thankful to, to Grover for just allowing that to, to happen because that, that had to be such, you know, just a monetary undertaking, you know? I mean, it would have been so, so much easier to just get another keyboard to replace me. Yeah. But he did not do that. And yeah. I'll never forget that. Living the jazz life, man. That's what it's all about, boy. Yeah. Dream album 25 fired up it's a, a mashup of what your fans have come to know and love you for you know it's it's funk it's groove you got a little latin flavor in there you know i mean it's 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 a party um what i love the most about it and we touched about it a little earlier is that you know you're bringing in some of the younger cats uh justin lee schultz of course bk jackson bk i think is around 30 now so he's mm -hmm. still yeah you know, one of the young ones out there, but I love the fact that you're, you're not necessarily passing the baton, but bringing up that that next generation out there. Uh, is there any one tune out there that is a favorite for either of you from this album? Hmm. Um, I'm, well, I'm told between two of them, actually, uh, okay. for me. Um, one of them is the, I think the first song on the album, In Too Deep. Mm -hmm. um, that's, uh, that's, this actually was my first attempt at doing a full horn section type song. And okay. uh, it's kind of like Tower Power meets Pieces of a Dream type for me. Uh, and uh, I had a ball doing it. Um, nice. And it even features, even though a lot of, some of the horns are, me playing from keyboard, but I do have live sax and live trumpet on the, on that song also. Um, and the song was, I mean, the guy who mixed the song for us and mastered, uh, well, um, Martin. Martin Walters, Martin Walters, he fell in love with the song and he's the one brought in the trumpet player and said, listen, I got an idea. I, I just want you to okay it. I'm going to bring in a live trumpet player to to top off those horns for you, man. I said, look, nice. do it, man. Yes. So he did, and the, and the horn section, I mean, with uh, Tony Watson doing the live sax, and then uh, the, the uh, I forget the trumpet players now. I can't, I can't recall it right this minute, but with him topping off with the, the, the high notes with the trumpet, man, this, the horn section just became a live horn section for me, man. And I, I really love the uh, outcome of what the horns are doing for that song. The other one is um, Feeling Good. Mm -hmm. It was the one uh, with the Latin flavor, I guess, that you were talking about. Yeah. And it just reminds, every time the, it came around to the hook, I, it was almost like I would hear somebody whistling the melody of that song. So, and it, it was like, I, I got to do something about this, driving me crazy, right? 
So a friend of mine came over, Benny Sims, who's written and produced a lot of songs with me for pieces. He said, look, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to go find a, a sound that sounds like somebody's whistler. And we did. And we put that on their record. And it nice. kind of you know, gives you this vibe of somebody walking along the beach, you know, kicking the sand and with their hands in their pockets, whistling this song. Whistling this song. The world. Makes, them feel, makes them feel good, you know? You gotta love it. What about for you, James? Well, for me, uh, well, first one, the the first one that Kurt mentioned, and for the same reasons, it's kind of like a power of pieces of a power of a dream. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. (laughs) There it is. Power of pieces of power of a dream. Yes. (laughs) You know, uh, no, hold on. Let me stop you right there. One other thing about that song. After doing all this horn section stuff and getting the bass line and everything that I wanted on it, I couldn't come up with a melody for this. <laughs> you stuck. So after try, I mean, I, and then so I had my sax player try to help me out with it, and he couldn't come up with anything that I that I you know liked um, or that I was crazy about you know for that song. And I passed it off to James, and. When he sent it back to me, I was like, now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, yes. what I'm, that's what it needed. So, <laughs> hence you have some by the both of us, pieces of a dream. <laughs> nice. I think works so well for, um, for our partnership uh, musically, you know, mm. because we come from different, uh, even though we, we had the same basic upbringing and past, uh, we come from different, you know, just outlooks and mentalities musically. So, uh, you know, we're going to bring different ideas and different textures to the table. And uh, so, you know, where where I might get stuck, Kurt might be, uh, you know, coming and, and put what's necessary and vice right. versa. So, mm-hmm. you know, you have that kind of back and forth going and and that creates longevity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that yeah. is definitely contributed to our longevity uh, staying together as a group and and continuing to make music that people are uh, seem to enjoy still. Well, I also know? think it's a tribute to how well we know each other. Also, oh, yeah. you know that we could if somebody gets stuck, the other one can bring something that you know this other the other person is going to like, you know, right. and and be able to okay now we can finish the song. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's just you know. Because of the years we had together, man, it's you know, there's a true mental lock between us. Hmm. Now, one other thing I'd like to mention um, is it's a vibe okay. where um, that I'm always trying to uh, like infuse different things into smooth jazz. You know, um, you know, maybe like R&B elements or hip hop elements, and <laughs> and uh, and uh, Curtis as well. So you know. Sometimes it may be a country element or, or Latin element that comes in. Um, and when it's a vibe, um, that's me trying to fuse smooth jazz with trap. Okay. In, in, a, in a sense, you know, it's got a, like a trap type of vibe, yeah. but smooth jazz. So it's a, yeah, it's my version of what I call smooth trap. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, coming out with some more smooth trap stuff, you know where it started. you have got to love it 45 years in the business album 25 over 1 million albums so gentlemen i could talk to y'all for hours upon hours but this hour 
It's, it's gone by, man, and it's, it's been an incredible, uh, incredible one. So I look forward to bringing you all back again, man. But thank you so much. Fired up the latest album. Go out there, check it out. It is on Shanaki Records, Pieces of a Dream. James Lloyd, Curtis Harmon hanging out right here. Brothers, thank you so much. Love you much and continue doing what you're doing. Thank you for having us, man. It's been a pleasure and an honor. Pleasure's all mine for sure. Family, that is going to do it for this edition of Cool Jazz Conversations. The program is a production of TBM Productions, broadcast on its home of WSSB 90.3 FM at South Carolina State University. Uh, you can catch the podcast of the program on iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Alexa, Amazon Music, Player FM, Google Podcasts, pretty much everywhere. Uh, yeah, and you can definitely download it at coolJazzConversations.podbean.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at cool Jazz Conversations, and you can follow me at The Man With The Voice. My name is Marcelo Chapard, The Bass Man. Until next time, peace.